Welcome to the Authentic Accountant Podcast with Seth David and co-host Erica Ed. If you've ever wanted to know the real story behind the most successful business leaders in the world today, stay tuned. Every story doesn't have an instant success, peaches and cream background. We'll ask the questions that need to be asked and get the true stories of success. Now, here is Seth David and Erica Ed. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. My name is Seth David, and I'm here with my co-host, Erica Ed. Hey, Hey, everybody. And we have a very special guest today, which we're going to bring on in a second. But first, Erica, do you know what I did this morning? I'm going to say you must have gone on to QuickBooks Online. You nailed it. I did. I I did. I went into QuickBooks Online this morning, and you know it's, it's, it's the brand new year as of the time we're actually recording this. Um, it's right after New Year's. I had to update my banking, make sure I didn't run out of money at the end of the year. You know, New Year's Eve, things get a little crazy. Things right? got a little crazy. I got to say, I was, I was glad to see I still had some money in the bank it's going good. into the new year. Very good stuff. Um, and uh, kidding aside, of course, I love using QuickBooks Online. It's a great product. It's very easy for me to maintain and update mine and my clients' financials. And um, as our guest just mentioned to us, you know, that's why everybody needs accountants, right? Because we know how to use tools like QuickBooks Online to make sure that these guys are clear on where they're at financially. So with that, I want to bring on our guest who, who probably needs no introduction, but I'm going to introduce him anyway, you know, just for good form. <laughs> Chris, Drum roll, please. Chris is a guy that I've followed online for many, many years. I remember when I was first starting out, I had hired this internet marketing consultant. And he saw that I was making videos. But he's like, you got to put these videos on YouTube. And I'm like, what, YouTube? I thought that was just for like burning Elmo dolls. You know? And he says, no, no, it's, it's becoming good, a good use case for business. And there's some guys you should follow. You'll, you'll get what I mean. And he mentioned a few names. And, and Chris's was among them. And so it was back then in like 2008, I started following guys like Chris. And I think Chris I followed originally more on Twitter than anywhere else. I think that's where I saw you most. Um, but, uh, but all these years later, I've been fortunate enough to have been given the opportunity and have the honor of having been able to develop a rapport with Chris. I actually hired Chris last year to help mentor me and, and gave me tremendous help with a lot of stuff in, in the nerd enterprises business at large. And, and I like to say that, and I hope Chris feels the same way, that Chris has become a true friend to me over this time. I've really enjoyed the uh, time we've had together, the time we've spent talking to each other. I just somebody I really love and enjoy talking to. You know why, Erica? Because Chris Brogan is authentic. You know, there's a lot of people online out there that you, you know, there's gurus that people follow. And I don't know that I want to say they're not authentic, but they're, they're impossible to reach. But Chris is real. He's human. He's a guy you can actually talk to. It became clear to me when I was replying to his emails that it was actually him responding, which felt so good. Anyway, Chris... With all of that said, thank you so much for uh, taking the time and joining with us today. Well, hi, Erica, and hi, Seth, and it is so cool to be part of it, but it's so funny to hear that kind of intro, partly because, you know, I definitely need an introduction. Oh, my gosh, no one knows who I am. (laughs) I could go to any Starbucks or Panera anywhere on the earth and say, do you know who I am? And there'll be a loud, fat, weird man. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So it's all good. I'll take an intro any day. And it, it was funny when you said something about in 08, follow him on YouTube, because I was like, you know, not very good. at I'm still not very good at YouTube, but I was way not very good back then. So <laughs> if that was your first impression, I would have left. Um, so I'm glad you snuck over to Twitter, because at least I know how to type a little bit. So <laughs> 
you had less characters to make a fool of yourself. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> or, you know, or it was like a way more permanent thing. Cause even then like 140 <laughs> characters, like what a stupid idiot. That's, you know, <laughs> that's, and I was just going to say, that's our new version of like, you know, back in the day I had to walk barefoot in the snow. Like back in those days, you only had 140 characters. Now you get 280. <laughs> I know it, it, it's really silly. And then I'll see people do like these 50 tweet streams. And it's like, you know, when you scream at someone who's making out in public, you go, get a room. I'm like, get a blog. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. That's perfect. So, um, Chris, I don't know if you're familiar with our format. You know, we have three segments. We have what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. Um, And so we're going to walk you through. Remember that old show from This Will Date Us, Chris, you and I. Erica's a little younger than us. Remember that show, This Is Your Life? Oh, yeah. That's kind of like what this is like, is we're going to take you back through your childhood. I'm not going to bring like old friends of yours on, but we're going to, I want to walk you through your childhood in this first segment, the what it was like segment, because I want to learn from you. What were you like as a kid? What were your interests like? Take me through a little bit of that. Oh, I, I was, uh, everything was larger than life in my mind. You know, I, I learned to read very early. Uh, when I started figuring out how to write, I was telling people I was an author decades before I was an author. <laughs> For real. I was a lying liar of a kid. Like I was that kid. You know, my dad's a special forces spaceman, ranger alienated. They're like, your dad works at the movie theater. And I was like, well, no, he's got other jobs too. Um, which was true. Um, when I turned, I just told this story yesterday. So it's really funny. When I turned six years old, my parents bought me a Huffy Thunder Road bike. And this was right before BMX came out. So it still had a banana seat, but it had like knobby tires and everything. So it looked like almost a tough kid bike but like with a banana seat. So it was like just that not cool. Um, And my parents told me to try to figure out how to ride it. And they were like both really busy. And they're like, just like go play in the the yard, kid. But you know, they told me to go ride my bike in the yard. You know how hard it is to try to get any kind of momentum on a lawn? Like you're not gonna. (laughs) And they're like, there's me on the lawn, like an idiot, like thinking I'm never gonna learn how to ride a bike because like you cannot get up to speed. And I smashed into the side of the house the very first few hours of owning this bike and I wept and I wept and I wept and like the plastic front 56 broke the front. Oh, no. I was crying so hard. Brand new bike. Devastation. Yeah. My mama comes out and through my tears, I look over her and I say, move the house. <laughs> <laughs> because clearly it wasn't my fault. The house was in the way when I was trying to learn how to ride the bike. That is all you need to know about like my childhood because I just sort of, I wasn't like I was a very driven kid. I didn't have like a paper out and, and like, you know, I wasn't Gene Simmons like stacking money as a kid, but I really had my own opinion of where the train was going, even if it was right off the cliff. Or right through the house. Mm-hmm. Forget <laughs> houses. Who cares? Who needs a house? That's hilarious. That's it out of the way. <laughs> I love that though. I love that you asked for the house to be moved. I actually can relate to that quite a bit. You know, it's never my fault. No. Who put that you know, house there? And I think that I, I was very blessed. My parents are both very loving parents, Brady Bunch parents all the way through. You know, some people have horrendous upbringings and they don't even want to talk to people about them. But I had like the most loving parents and they were very much like, um, you can do anything. You can succeed. You are such a winner. You are so great. You are so gorgeous and handsome and blah, blah, blah. You know, every day of my life. When I got to school and I started like mingling with other kids, I was like, I cannot figure out how these people do not adore me. Like I must, I'm the most amazing kid I've ever met. And 
you know, my mom and dad said I'm super gorgeous. So I'm going to go ask out this super pretty girl. Like there is no way she should even know I exist. I am like a fart in the air to her, um, <laughs> but I'm gorgeous. So I'm going to go get it. You know, it was really fun. Um, Did you get the girl? to reconcile that for like the first about 18 or 38 years of my life. So. <laughs> Did you get the girl? Did she say yes? No. Oh. No. Um, you know, like Charlie Brown and the redheaded girl that he never got and like him trying to kick that ball. You know, I, I was like the, I was not, I was, I was lucky in love a lot when I was younger. Like I started trying to make out and go out with girls when I was five. Like I just knew that was where my future lay. Um, <laughs> but like I was so bad at it. So like I have more failure and funny stories than I do like cool teenage makeout stories. You may have missed your calling. It could be that you could have been like Hugh Hefner, right? Right. I, I could have. Now, I do still sometimes walk around my house in a bathrobe uh, and wearing sandals and slippers and stuff like that. But there's no one else here and no one's naked. <laughs> it's a little more awkward. You know what Especially they say. Delivery. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So That's exactly right. Taking them. <laughs> That's what I tell my kids when I'm talking about the toilet. And I'm like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you said this is you how the shows normally go, right? Oh, always, absolutely, okay. straight to the toilet. It's not the first time we've talked about poop on this show. <laughs> hey, I'm in the right place, Erica. Definitely, without a doubt. Um, so you said you started reading at a very early age. What kind of stuff did you read? Oh, like crazy science fiction. Um, my parents were both super avid readers and there were massive bookshelves in every piece of the house. Like I thought that's how you decorated houses was you put more bookshelves. Um, <laughs> and we were like, when we were really, when I was really, really young, we were like upper lower class, but I never knew. Like my parents, it never seemed like we didn't have any money. It just seemed like, you know, things were just rolling. So um, we had tons of books and my grandparents, my grandfather was a big reader on my, my dad's side. And so... Um, a lot of classic sci-fi, Asimov, uh, really pulpy stuff like Edgar, Allen, uh, Edgar uh, Rice Burroughs, Tarzan and that sort of thing, uh, Ian Fleming, James Bond books, and uh, lots of really interesting uh, fuel for like young men. And then, you know, as my parents were getting, uh, as time went on and into the 80s and into my sort of early teens, they were buying uh, more biographies, which at first I thought were really boring and stupid. But I remember reading things like Lee Iacocca's biography and all that, and, and some of that sort of sticking with me till later. So um, mm -hmm. I, I did read mostly genre fiction uh, right up until probably early 20s. Uh, and then I switched over to like really snobby literature, you know, the stuff that like, you know, oh, you wouldn't understand it kind of <laughs> books. Uh, and then 9-11 <laughs> happened and I stopped reading fiction entirely and I started reading nonfiction uh, exclusively for many years until like the last three years. I was, by the way, I was a big fan of Asimov as a kid. I used to love reading his stuff. I was a little science geek too. I still hope the three robotic laws apply. You know, now that there's my kids and I were in Walmart the other day and a real live robot went by and not like some novelty funny robot, but like checking the shelves to make sure stuff's looking okay. And I was amazed at how number one, we all want to marvel at it for a second. And number two, how totally normal it is. You know, you don't walk down the street and go a minivan. You know, that's how the robot looked. It looks like whatever. It's a robot. And that's what you think. Yeah. Right. Crazy. That's funny. So uh, moving along as you got older, like say high school and then into college, what were you interested in by then? Uh, still girls. Uh, my voice changed, you know, I got hairier. Um, I was in a bunch of really bad uh, hair band type metal bands. Were you, were you uh, born in the with a beard? <laughs> 
you know, I still have the hair for the hair bands, but that's all I got. Um, I was like a Metallica kind of guy and a Megadeth guy. Um, and so we did a lot of bad garage band ripoff bands. Um, college, college was such an on again, off again thing for me. I took the, uh, one year that you take right after 18 when you realize there's no way I'm smart enough to know that I want to go into college. And then my parents funded a local state college and like the first semester I hid in the library and I thought I was so smart. I was like, no one even knows where I am right now. This is awesome. <laughs> I didn't realize no one cared where I was right. uh, because, you know, we'd already paid. So whatever. Um, and so the grades come home like that. There are no grades. And uh, my parents are like, oh, I don't think we would like to fund you going to a library for several thousand dollars a quarter. <laughs> um, and so I stopped. And then I only started dabbling with college again when I worked for the phone company. So I didn't have like a straightforward college education and I don't have a degree. I have like 28 credits at seven different universities. There's 28 <laughs> universities in Boston. So like I could do this, like you go to, you know, where do you want to get lunch today? Right. That's great. That's Did you great. have okay. something that you wanted to do back then or was there? Was no, there? I mean, I, I wanted to, yeah, I mean, everything I wanted to do, there was no degree for though. So like uh, there were these revelations. I, I hate talking about this in some ways because I never want to dissuade someone from getting an education. But like I went to the computer uh, course that I had to take for college and the very first time I'm sitting there in the class, I'm being taught how to mount a, a floppy disk drive. Mm. And I was like, uh, okay, this is like yeah. nine years old kind of yeah. stuff <laughs> by the way nine years old as in uh, antiquated tech right, right nine years old as in a nine-year-old could do this right and um midway through that call that first class i got a call because our data center our uh a drive array had disconnected from the servers and i had to basically talk a guy on my cell phone through how to reconnect a big pile of drives to servers well i was like mounting one floppy into a hard drive times like two blocks worth of data systems. Mm -hmm. And the, the instructor heard me and was like, uh, don't come back to this class. I'll just give you the A. And I was like, oh, college is a scam. Now I get it. And so <laughs> right. I, I hate talking like that, but that was my personal experience with it. My personal experience was everything I was learning in school wasn't working well for me. I have regrets. I wish I had a journalism degree. Uh, just because it teaches you how to, to really think logically a lot better. And I really wish I had a law degree for contracts and negotiation skills and how to parse mm -hmm. things better. And I, I deeply regret not having those degrees. Someday I might do that, you know, as a practical joke, but not right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, the journalism definitely makes sense to me, given what I know of you today, you know, and all the writing that you do and have done. Um, the law degree is an interesting one. Um, but uh, it's, you know, um, what was I I'm trying to think of something? Oh, the movie Devil's Advocate. You know, the devil comes through the world in the form of a lawyer, and he explains because if you know the law, you know the backbone of all society, you know, through the law, which I always thought that was very interesting out of that movie. Yeah, and, and scary. And scary, uh, because, yes. <laughs> you know, the law is always like the, the furthest edge of permission, basically. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Um, we actually have to take a short break, right? I can't believe how quickly that went by. Um, but we've got to take a short break and uh, we're going to thank some people for something. I'm not sure what, but we'll figure out who to thank and what to thank them for during the break. And then we'll be back. And when we come back, Chris, we're going to talk about what happened. We're going to talk about how, what happened in between what we've been talking about and, and where you're at today. We're going to cover that and it's, it's going to be a little scary, but you know, we'll take you through it gently, of course.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nerd Enterprises Incorporated is a numbers agency. We offer a wide range of services from bookkeeping to financial modeling and cash flow projections. Our consulting services enable you to do what you do best by giving us the accounting and back office tasks that we do best. Nerd Enterprises, Inc. is one of the worldwide leaders in QuickBooks, Microsoft Excel, and other productivity-based training. If it's one-to-one or one-to-many, we log in with you so you can share your screen and we get you through it. Plus, all sessions are recorded so you can review those recordings anytime you like afterwards. For more information, visit Nerd Enterprise. Intuit QuickBooks is dedicated to powering prosperity around the globe for accountants, small businesses, consumers, and the self-employed. With products and services like QuickBooks Online Accountant and the QuickBooks Pro Advisor Program, accounting professionals can save time, grow their practice, and act as strategic advisors to their small business clients. By working together as partners, Intuit can help you leverage the latest technologies and work with you to create tomorrow's future innovations. Go to quickbooks.intuit.com to find out more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. To find out more, send an email to taap at nerdenterprises.com. That's taap at nerdenterprises.com. Now, back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. Welcome back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. I am still here. So is Erica. I'm here. Amazingly enough, so is Chris. Chris had to excuse himself to go to college so when we left off we were talking about uh, Chris you know kind of what you're interested in a lot of reading didn't need to go to school obviously you've done very well without having a college degree but interesting like I said at the end of the last segment that uh, that you think law would be the you know a degree you'd want to have in addition to the journalism Um, but it's interesting and it makes sense. I always thought that accounting was another way into kind of the backbone of society. I always like the reason I got the accounting degree actually was when I was trying to decide, you know, I had left school myself without having finished and I went to work as a stockbroker and actually worked right off Wall Street on Water Street. And then I went back to school because, you know, I was doing very well as a stockbroker and I was a young kid. I was only like 21 at the time and I was making very good money, especially for a 21 year old at that time. And so people were encouraging me, hey, you know, stock market's still going to be there, but you should get a degree so you have something to fall back on in case at some point that doesn't work out. And I said, yeah, that's fair. So I went back to school. I was like, what do I study? You know, normally you would study finance, right? You would get a degree in finance, but then you really need an MBA to get anywhere with a degree in finance. A degree in finance alone doesn't really cut it. And so my dad just gave to me, I had parents just like you described yours were, you know, very loving, very nurturing, very caring. And they told me, my dad specifically, I remember telling me, look, with an accounting degree, you'll always be able to find work. No question. <clears throat> He's like, so get the accounting degree, then go do whatever you want. But at least then you have the accounting degree. You can, you can get work 
doing accounting stuff anywhere, anytime. And he was right. I think it was great advice. So, but let's talk about you. Enough about me. What do you think about me, Chris? I um, think you're swell. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, so now I want to kind of get a sense of what happened. And, you know, in this segment, we like to sort of focus a little bit on some of the challenges you've had, some of the struggles you've gotten through. Where did you get stuck? Somehow you went from not getting a degree in college and doing, you said you were working for the phone company, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then social media hit at some point along the way. And you started, you obviously grabbed that by the horns because you're one of the early sort of pioneers in social media, I think. And, and then your first book was Trust Agents, correct? That's right. Okay. And then and you've written a bunch of others. I loved uh, The Freak Shall Inherit the Earth. The name alone of that book, I absolutely love. Um, but you've written a bunch. So I want to talk about those. But along the way, how did you get there? What struggles did you face? And of course, most importantly, how did you overcome them? I was a poor black child. <laughs> I knew <laughs> you were going to say that. The jerk. <laughs> yeah. um, no, so I, um, my, so the social media thing came from, I was raised in Maine and around age 13 or so, I, re- I really quickly caught on that there's only going to ever be three conversations where I was raised. Uh, Led Zeppelin versus Van Halen, uh, Mustang <laughs> versus Camaro, and what's the, were the Red Sox ever going to win a World Series? One, uh, Camaro, two, Van Halen, and three, don't care, not really all that into baseball, but whatever, I hope they do. Uh, and that was it. That was done. I was done with all the, the three major conversational arcs of my entire childhood. Um, and I wanted to talk about, could Superman really beat the Hulk? You know, was Spider-Man better than Batman? Because I don't think so. Spider-Man's a whiny kid. He's just got more, you know, special powers. Yeah. Etc. That's what I want to talk about. And if uh, old Batman's Star Trek... got way more money, though. Arden Riker... Who's going to win, right? And so online bulletin board services was my first experience with that. I my dad hooked me up and gave me the gateway drug. And the uh, experience that I went into from there was I, I just took that forward. Like, man, community could be really cool. So I started blogging in 1998 when it was called Journaling. It was like mm-hmm. me and Neil Gaiman and three other people, basically. No one even knew we could find these things online. Uh, it took me eight years to get my first hundred readers on my blog because nobody was out there doing this. So no one thought to look for it. There was no Google, et cetera. Uh, so it was a mess. I started podcasting in 05. It was the year after podcasting launched. I'm always not the first guy. I'm the first and a half guy. <laughs> um, and then all the social stuff. I started Twitter. Twitter launched in March. I got it in October of 06. I was user 10,212. Um, and I was pretty early on to a lot of the platforms. And I'm not enamored with any of the platforms, which is a misnomer a lot of people have about me, but I am in love with who I can reach and the access and what I can do. And in any given day, this is totally true. If you go look through my tweet stream, on any given day, I'm talking to a bunch of regular, normal people like you, me, and everybody else, and a rock star. Uh, The other day, Boy George tweeted me, like Mm -hmm. Boy George. Uh, Beth Comstock, who used to be the vice chair and CMO of GE, Mm. Um, these are just normal daily conversations and that is not something that existed before. And you what did boy George tweet you? Did he ask you if any of those people <laughs> did boy George ask you if you really wanted to hurt him? No. Um, but I know, an, I know an example of this from in 07 when I met MC hammer, I said, I promise <laughs> I will not make can't touch you jokes. Uh, can't touch this jokes. I just have a real serious question. And Cause he, you're too really legit. You <laughs> Sorry. That's terrible. Don't think I didn't sing that song. 
and karma chameleon the whole time I was having the tweet conversation, but no. Right. No. And I love that. And actually I, of all the places, my favorite is still Twitter. Uh, you know, I love the, the banter we have on Twitter a lot. You yes. Know? Cause you're right. I, and I can speak to it from direct experience. It's just regular conversations and it's funny stuff. Like you'll throw up a picture and make a comment. And I still didn't get, you posted a tweet yesterday, I think, and you said, do you see it yet? And I, I looked at it for a while and I couldn't see whatever it was. I'll be honest. I couldn't. Oh, the picture didn't come through. It's um, no, uh, I saw Miles the picture, but... into the Spider Verse, the new Sony picture that came out at the very end of December. Um, it is a oh, so it was very literal. I thought there was something I was supposed to like stare at the picture for a while and see something that wasn't clear. Oh on. yeah, no. Did you see this movie? It, it was a very uh, <laughs> life changing kind of movie for a lot of people, including me, uh, in very different ways. Lots of people come out of uh, come out of it with something different. If only just to say that was the most interesting visual storytelling I've seen in forever. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, definitely. You so don't you have start- to be a Spider-Man fan. Um, you just have to kind of be willing. It's, it, it, I've never done any interesting drugs. So I, I can tell you that it feels like what I guess an acid trip would feel like in some places. You just have to kind of know ahead of time that that's coming. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. If you ever want to know what an acid trip feels like, just watch Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That movie ah, they did. Is that, a, is that a reasonable uh, rendition? Yeah. Not that I, I can speak from experience. I'm, I, I, I deny or disavow any knowledge, but I'm just saying that movie, <laughs> I think, was pretty accurate. Um, gotcha. Anyway, so you were blogging before there was blogging. You were blogging before there was even Google. What made you want to do that? Like, why? What motivated Oh, my gosh. Think about back to my childhood when I said I was like the most magnanimous kid. And I was like amazing and whatever. I was like a platform where I can publish without anyone telling me I'm good or bad. This is the best day of my life, you know, because I had tried submitting articles and stories and whatever to magazines, but I didn't even read what the magazine was about. I was like, of course you want to publish my sci-fi story, or of course you want to publish my literary sad, you know, kid living with his dead grandmother story, uh, even if it was like Ladies Home Journal. And I just didn't. <laughs> I was not in any way aligning with their systems. And so I was like, wait, I can just publish my own stuff and whatever I feel like. And I got a very small following. I told you it took me eight years to get my first 100 readers. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I got comments, you know, from two or three or four people and five people. And it was so fun. My friend Becky McRae from Small Biz Survival was one of the early, early, early people. And uh, she knew me when, so to speak. And it's very fun because she says, I remember the blog post celebrating your first 50 and you're the same guy. You know, thank goodness you've learned how to write better, but you're really <laughs> the same guy. And what but, things were you writing about? Oh, oh my gosh. I, like everyone who's, everyone who's got the worst blog in the world things. I was writing about like my belly button, basically. You know, <laughs> oh, I don't know about this about me. I really care about myself. Let me tell you what I thought about that movie, right? Like there's so many Just, belly button bloggers out there. Like, You're writing about that. anything. That's like, it's I love that term, belly button bloggers. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, you ever try to explain a dream when you wake up like to, to the poor, sad, significant other vaguely near you, or even if you have to call someone on the phone, and you're like, I just had this dream. And you're like, it's so intense in your head. And like, and then the zebras had like check boxes instead of stripes. And it was really weird. And I had to use QuickBooks online, but I couldn't get in. And, I was, <laughs> and they're looking at you like you're stupid. And they hope you get hit by a truck and that they can leave this conversation as fast as they can. That's what most bloggers write about. Julian right. Smith used to shake hands with people when we'd go to events with trust agents. He would come up and shake hands and go, oh, you're a blogger? What do you complain about? 
<laughs> and so that's what I wrote about. And it wasn't until I learned how to write for other people and serve other people that something came about and it was useful. And how did that happen? Like, how did you get from, you know, doing what you were doing, belly button blogging to somebody actually legitimately asking you and saying, hey, Chris, we, we love what you're doing. We'd like you to write something for us. What did that look like? It went. It was backwards in a way to what you just said. I was. Okay. I was a back when blogging. Like you could be super fans of blogs, and you'd follow blog roles, and you'd have an RSS reader full of the people you liked, um, instead of just kind of getting whatever got tweet tweet shot across your door. Um, you would read other people's blogs kind of religiously, and I loved Life Hacker, and I loved LifeHack.org, which was like the is Pepsi okay of blogs. And that was in 05 or so. Uh, the, the main guy writing it, I just blanked on his name and I'm so feel bad about that. But he said, I'm going on vacation for a while and I'm pretty much the only guy writing this thing. Does anyone want to be a guest author for a while? And I was like, me, 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 me. And uh, he knew me from the comment section and was like, yeah, all right. You, tag, you're in. I don't have to write. And I just kept going. He comes back. He goes, okay, that was good. Thanks. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm on. Like, I'm still <laughs> writing for you. He's like, well, I can't pay you. I go, pay me in links. I'm going to link to my stuff a lot. And he was like, okay, well, not a lot. And I was like, okay. And then, <laughs> you know, hockey puck up to like, to every word in the thing is linked to some other blog post of mine. It was like SEO misery like that. It's like a switchboard in a hotel. And, um, but I wrote for Lifehack and to write for Lifehack, I had to think outside of my belly button and be like, you know, five ways that you can write a better thank you letter. Now, all my compatriots, including what's his, why am I blanking on his name so bad? Um, they were writing like, you know, Seth David kind of post. They were writing like, you know, how to get the most out of Edgar or, you know, these five Hootsuite things will change your life or you didn't know QuickBooks Online could turn on your Instant Pot. You know, all that right. stuff. That, <laughs> and I was like, I refuse to write about a single piece of software. I'm going to write about, you know, what Dungeons and Dragons taught me about being an entrepreneur or whatever. Right. And traffic was like Chris Brogan. And that's all I needed. So I, I had referred enough people to chrisbrogan.com that I told, what's his name? See ya. Thanks so much. That was great. <laughs> me, 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 me. And then I was a god. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> That is awesome. Now, how does this line up timeline wise with like, I remember at least my recollection was that the first real well-known quote unquote blogger or blog or blog per se was, uh, it came about that I was aware of when, what's his name? Jason Calacanis sold a blog platform to AOL or something like that. Yep. Wasn't he like the first like real blogger per se or, and how does your story here line up with that timing wise? So everybody was the first big famous blogger to somebody right. else is the one thing to <laughs> tell course. you. So I know Jason, um, I have a really weird Jason Calacanis story that involves when he went over to AOL, they hired him to, they acquired him basically. And they wanted him to start like a video studios thing. And it was kind of funny because like, um, I was at blog world, uh, what was it called? Podcast and portable media expo and Robert Scoble and Andrew Barron, who ran rocket boom at the time, which was the number one video on the web at the time. They grabbed me and they said, hey, dude, you got a driver's license? I'm like, why? Do you need me to buy beer? And they're like, we got to go to a secret meeting in LA. I'm like, okay, great. And they had rented a big van. And I had the most famous blogger, video people in the world in this van with me driving down the 405. I'm lost as anything. And as anyone in LA can tell you, they all want to tell you how to get somewhere. <laughs> so anyway, that was me and Calcanis. But I know those guys, I know Om Malik, I know all of those people who made big media companies and I just went the other way because like I had said earlier to Erica, 
uh, if I can find a way to put more bullets in my foot gun, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to find ways to shoot foot bullets all day. And so um, I decided I didn't want a big media company that I could sell to someone else for $8 million and be good for like the next 30 years of my life. I thought, you know, be better than that is having bills and worrying about my mortgage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The struggle is real. And that's really the important thing to remember here. Yeah. So, so what were some of the struggles along the way? We've got a couple minutes left in this segment. I mean, where did you struggle? Where did you get stuck? Were there any points where you said, holy crap, I think I'm just going to throw in the towel and go get a job? Oh, my gosh. The only time that ever happened was on days that ended in Y. All the other days, I was totally fine, and I had it nailed. Uh, but on days that ended in Y, I was like, man, I should probably go back to getting a day job. No, when I quit and joined the circuits, which was in 06, September of 06, um, I was like, well, I guess I'll figure it out. And for a while, it was total like velocity luck. So from like 2006 to like just the earlier part of 2011, um, almost all of my great success, all the money I made, all the success, meeting all these famous people, <clears throat> all the best part of the story, act two of any movie, that was all just dumb luck and stupidity and here's a bag of money. Mm -hmm. um, and when we come back from break, I'll talk about when that uh, gravy train uh, stopped pouring gravy and I was like, oh, crap. Now I probably really do need to think, should I get a day job? And how I survived it. How was that for a cliffhanger, dudes? That's perfect. Dude, that's so good. We'll be right so back. So we'll be right back after this quick break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nerd Enterprises Incorporated is a numbers agency. We offer a wide range of services from bookkeeping to financial modeling and cash flow projections. Our consulting services enable you to do what you do best by giving us the accounting and back office tasks that we do best. Nerd Enterprises Inc. is one of the worldwide leaders in QuickBooks, Microsoft Excel, and other productivity-based training. If it's one-to-one -one or one-to-many, we log in with you so you can share your screen and we get you through it. Plus, all sessions are recorded, so you can review those recordings anytime you like afterwards. For more information, visit nerdenterprises.com. Intuit QuickBooks is dedicated to powering prosperity around the globe for accountants, small businesses, consumers, and the self-employed. With products and services like QuickBooks Online Accountant and the QuickBooks Pro Advisor Program, accounting professionals can save time, grow their practice, and act as strategic advisors to their small business clients. By working together as partners, Intuit can help you leverage the latest technologies and work with you to create tomorrow's future innovations. Go to Quick books.intuit.com to find out more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests and new happenings at the voice America talk radio network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. To find out more, send an email to taap at nerdenterprises.com. That's taap at nerdenterprises.com. Now, back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. We, Seth and I, are back here with Chris Brogan, and I'm excited to see where the gravy train goes and uh, what kind of foot bullets we're firing off today. So, Chris, <laughs> you had mentioned right before the break, um, taking us through, you know, your your darker struggles and uh, and telling us a little bit about how you survived that and how you got through it. So I'll set it back to the good time for a minute. It's 2010. I did 106 speeches over that year, which meant that essentially every three calendar days, I was somewhere else. Um, at that moment in my life, I was married. I had two kids, one of them very young. Um, and uh, all the wheels fell off the bus at my house. Uh, divorce happened uh, yeah. afterwards. And partly, I, I'm to blame for a chunk of it, but another part of it was just like, holy cow, the road. Like, you know, you cannot it is really hard to maintain a relationship when you're on the road and that boiled over in a lot of ways. Um, So that happened by 2011. um, I I was really trying to figure out, I I had a, I'd been working with a lot of very big companies and I said, you know, I really, one company that I won't name by name that delivers packages and wears brown clothes and rhymes with smooth, 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 really frustrated me just a tiny little bit because we were going to do this project and it took them like 11 months to get back to me on it. And I was like, it was such a dumb project too. It was like, and, and money wise for them, it was like cream cheese in their Saturday meeting. You know what yeah. I mean? It was not an important amount of money. Um, and it took them 11 months. I was like, screw this. I want to work with people off of their corporate card, you know, or their business account, you know, credit card. And I want them to be able to pay me like one, two, 500 bucks and I'll just get it in volume. It'll be great. Uh, and I pr- proceeded to launch a business like that and very loudly, like, you know, forget you big guys. It's all good. You know what you're doing. See you later. Um, which set me off starting in like, you know, mid 2011 on how would you like to not get any money? Uh, <laughs> through that time frame, you know, trust agents is still doing okay. It came out in the end of, uh, um, 09 and Tim, um, Sanders had said to me, there's going to be three years of success and gravy on this book. And then the phones are going to stop ringing. So you better have another hit. So I did not, I wrote, uh, the book, The Impact Equation with Julian Smith. It was kind of a sequel to trust agents and, uh, no one cared. We got an incredible advance on that book. I mean, beautiful money. And uh, it did not pay off. I still get a statement from them all the time saying, no payment is due at this time. (laughs) And I was like, I didn't know that was an option. Like, because I'm going to owe you guys a lot of money until I'm dead. Um, So my next bunch of books didn't do super well. The favorite book I ever wrote, The Freak Shall Inherit the Earth, basically was uh, subtitled, Big Companies, Please Don't Hire Chris. And so speaking had dried up. And uh, so my new book is subtitled, Who Do I Got to Blow Around Here to Get a Speech? Uh, (laughs) You know, the real title is Be Where They Are, Go Where They're Going. But in the process, you might hear from Harvey Weinstein. Always, always spoken to big companies and little companies at the same time. Little companies and or uh, people working inside of big companies, but like the disruptive person who is not the head of the company, that's my real buyer. That's who actually makes me over the finish line 90 plus percent of the time. CEOs and CMOs find me 10 to 10 to 5% of the time. Uh, but it's almost always some disruptive person who's essentially the Chris Brogan inside that office mm-hmm. or, you know, I'm the Joan Smiley of that office and they uh, of not that office. And then they say, boss, we got to get this guy in here. And I spend a day, I take a bag of their money. And by the time they're done, somewhere near the end of the entire event, they're looking at Joan in the same room who had said all this for a year. <laughs> oh my gosh, we have done something terrible. 
we had this woman here. It was you all along, right? The best end of a three-act story ever made. It was you. I didn't know. No, I feel like Ryan Reynolds right now with, with Thor's hair. Uh, so. That's how it all went. So as things didn't work, what, what didn't work was like, I'm, I'm a horrible marketer. Like, so if, which is funny because I teach marketing, but when uh, in marketing, you're supposed to, this is Seth alluded to this in the intro. You're supposed to be like, I am so amazing. And uh, different than when I'm talking to you two, because I love you. Um, when I'm uh, talking like to, to prospects, I say, this is probably not very good. Like you probably <laughs> shouldn't even get this. Someone out there probably does this better than me anyway. Um, and I'm not being like false modest. You know, there's people like with beautiful hair. They're like, I should really cut my hair. It's <laughs> and they're just waiting for compliments. And I'm like, no, I'm kind yeah. of an idiot. But like, if you like the way I connect with you, then we'll probably do something together. It'll probably work. Like Seth did coaching with me. Um, <laughs> the, having to beg people, they're like, I don't think this is worth a hundred bucks a month. I'd be like, okay, you're right. That's how I sell. (laughs) Turns out, you know, most times, because I I would say to every person, I would say, I don't, I'm never going to fight you. Like if you have to question, is this worth it? The answer is no. Mm -hmm. Because the people who I maintain and retain and who spend their money every month with me, they're like, I can't wait for the next annual deal so I could buy it up front for cheaper. This is great. And I've had people who bought for me since 2012 who, who message me when they think the time is coming up to see if they can keep on. That's who I'm selling to. Yeah. And so, uh, but as that turns out, when you've segmented that low, you know, Kevin Kelly's thousand two fans, I have 208 two, true fans. I'm 800 shy of being able to like live like a yacht life. So <laughs> I'm really, I'm kind of a, um, a kiddie pool in the backyard and a rubber floaty that I can't really fit in. So I just put my arm in it. That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, you know, it's interesting you say that because we have a lot of talk in the accounting industry about pricing and value pricing and all this and trying to figure out what's the value to the client. And I've been going against the grain a bit <clears throat> and telling people forget what the value is to the client. And you just reminded me of that because this is what I share with them. I say, charge what's worth to you. Charge what gets, ex- what gets you excited to get up and do the work. And either they're willing to pay that or they're not. And like you said, Chris, if they're willing to pay it, then now you've found your tribe. Your tribe are the people who are, <coughs> excuse me, willing to pay it. <laughs> and then you, you so, so what I'm getting out of this is that you cast a narrow net, not a wide net, and find the people who are just diehard fans who want to re-sign for the annual whenever they can get it. I was talking to a guy yesterday about uh, pricing of a video service. And this video service is like you make a one, two, or three-minute video. You send it to him, and his little team uh, puts the box around it to make it all meme-like and all that sort of thing and uh, does a transcribe and a couple of little things like that. And this the – options to buy it were like a subscription service of four videos for 99 bucks and i don't remember for how much and uh, the big kahuna which is like you're going to do a million so just send it to me and we'll give you the special magical quote and i said to him okay fine i've seen this kind of pricing structure a billion times i said for some reason in my head i'm not thinking i want to send you four videos a month to justify my hundred dollars a month i said i feel weird at that hundred dollars a month i said but i want to tell you what i'm really also thinking what I'm also thinking is it's totally worth 20 bucks for me to do this and I would easily throw 20 bucks down every time I feel like doing this and I would probably do that five times a month and not even think about it because $20 is the new free and I think mm-hmm. that you know maybe you should consider some pricing like that. And mm-hmm. twenty, we, we say at Owner Media all the time, 20 is the new free. 
because really, if the debate is, is this worth $20, that means you are at a, such a budgetary problem that you should not be buying education. You should be out hustling more. Right. Uh, but if it's just $20, then you can almost always figure if it's going to be worth it. And even if you burn yourself one time on someone's product at 20, you just go, oh, well, I'll eat that 20. I know, I know I'm not going to buy that again. Exactly. Right. So it's so I just want to backtrack a little bit because it sounds like you because I want to make sure we get the sort of um, turning yeah. point out of this because you talked about how you it sounds like you in a sense almost wrote yourself out of the big companies. Right. Because you said yes. that the, like the subtitle of I think you said it was the freak shall inherit the earth might as well have been big companies don't hire me anymore. So what happened from there? What did you wind up doing? How did you overcome it? Are you still in the process of overcoming it? Like where's that at? You know and let me shut up and let you go. <laughs> no, it's good. Shut up and let me go. That's a song. Um, I once heard that about 8,000 times in Vegas underneath an Apple ad um, in the middle of the fashion district. So when you said that, I just got like PTSD of like sparkling Apple ads. <laughs> um, the, um, the way this is going for me and with big companies and all that is – there's a lot of things I did on the road to becoming Chris Brogan that I stopped doing when I decided I was just going to work with these entrepreneurs. And it's funny because it's a lot of the stuff that I really promote, make a lot of video, connect with a lot of people, make really interesting media that really tells that company's story so that they're going to, or that customer's story. So they're going to say, Oh man, this is me. Like I should do this. Like that's not uh, coincidental. And so what got me some of my best gigs ever, I wrote a, uh, this weird story that's way too long to tell you the way I would normally tell it. But I wrote a blog post when I went to check out looking to buy my last car and I wrote dear car dealerships, your website sucks. And it had come from, I had gone to GM headquarters. I had ridden around in a, in a brand new, like almost prototype Camaro. And when I got back to my house in Boston, I went to the local Chevy dealership online and it was like a bunch of smoke and mirrors that really said, come for the test drive. I was like, I drove it with the guy who made it, MF. Like, I just give me the, how much is it? I'll go in and buy it. Like, let's just do this. And my last, like, five cars were Saturn's because Saturn's deal was, here's the price. And I was like, I love this. Because, you know, if I went in and the price was $20,000, i would leave having paid twenty eight because I'm that good a negotiator. So um, that got me like $300,000-ish in, in speaking gigs. Um, in total, talking about my experience from tweet, one tweet that said I thought Cadillac CTS looked kind of sexy made me about a million dollars in revenue uh, because of speaking to an industry. And I, didn't, I have no knowledge of the auto industry. Every time yeah. they put me in a keynote speech, I'd be like, hey, guys, I drive your cars. That's all I got. And then we'd go into like what lessons I thought I had. And I would have swarms of people going, this is great. And I was like, I'm so good. Um, and I wasn't doing that, Seth. So to your question, you know, how did you turn it around? How are you turning it around? Um, I stopped writing something that would be so easy for a big company to see themselves in. Hmm. So subsequently, you know, into 2019 and beyond, my post, there will still be posts that an individual will read and go, oh, that really poked me right in the belly. But I'm also going to write, you know, real estate professionals, here's what you really got to do because you're losing at this game. You know, a, a, a person on their laptop is replacing you and all your expertise. Here's how to fix that. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to go right into various industries. I love the real estate industry um, because they're, they exemplify a lot of what we wrote about in trust agents just by extension. Like 
how to be a good real estate professional is all the stuff I think is how to be a good employee at any business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, you know, going forward, one of the biggest things I can tell you about that is that my, my big goal is to show a bunch of good serving suggestions like they do in recipes and, and sides of boxes and grocery stores and that companies will see themselves and go, here's a bag of money, Chris Brogan, and then I'll need an accountant to help me make sure it's all good. Right. I know a few, by the way. Oh, um, that's good. We, by the way, love real estate professionals also. We actually work with them a lot at Nerd Enterprises. I love that business. And I think the reason I fell in love with the business was long before I started serving it in the accounting industry. And it's because I was moving into this apartment and the, the landlord was my client, actually. I was, you know, he had a bunch of rental properties and I was doing his accounting. And at one point I said, hey, do you have any apartments available? Because I want to get out of the one I was in. And he says, yeah, of course. And it was a great relationship. But I remember when he was showing me the apartment that I ended up moving into, the way he talked about it, he took such pride in providing a really good living space for somebody. And that made me realize how special that industry was or could be, you know, because he, unlike, I guess, a lot of landlords, when you think of the crummy landlords, you know, he really put time and effort and money into like the fixtures and the little details and made it nice, you know, and it was like a place you'd be proud to rent. And he was very proud to be renting it. So I, I agree with you. I love the real estate industry for that reason. It's so human. It's so much about this is where people live, you know, right. whether you're somebody selling homes or renting apartments, you know, it's still real estate is still providing people with their living space, you know, and I think there's something really special about that. Anyway, uh, so earlier you talked about how you don't love the social media platforms per se, but you love how it enables you to connect with people. And I think that probably speaks a lot to what you're all about today, which is what this segment is all about, what it's like today. So talk to me a little bit about that. And especially for the sake of our listeners, I I know a lot of them are going to be interested in hearing your take on on that and social media and how to use it and how to build your business with it. Interesting. They'll be interested, but also a little depressed and uh, (laughs) resigned to their fate. Um, So I I should say that there's that statement that there's that sort of a cliche that um, when you're a carpenter, everything uh, you have a hammer in your hand, everything looks like a nail basically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I'm a writer first and foremost. So in my mind, everybody loves to read, you know, because I write naturally everyone loves to read. Mm -hmm. It's not true. Um, I'll give you some numbers. So Mary Meeker from Kleiner Perkins Caulfield Buyers puts out a internet trends report that studies a lot of spaces in a lot of different ways. And one of the parts of the survey early on, the first like 20 slides, shows that uh, people on average are spending just under six hours a day online now every day. The average human being just under six hours a day every day. Now, the three of us probably spend a little more than six hours a day online. Uh, A lot of people think that the rest of the world doesn't. Um, but it's just not true. Even like I was going to say, what about construction workers? Nope. They spend six hours a day online. Um, of that 3.3 hours or so a day is video. Mm. And what the only part I don't quite understand in the survey is that I then match that to the U S department of labor and statistics who says that all Americans at least spend on average 19 minutes a day reading anything textual. That means SMS messages, that means emails, that means a blog post, that means the side of the cereal box, and or whatever you were hoping they were going to read of your stuff, and or books, right? So 19 minutes a day. So if it's 3.3 hours of video, if YouTube is serving over a billion hours of video a day, if YouTube is serving 100 million of those on top of TVs, on set-top boxes, supplanting 100 million hours of viewing a day, 
And if 300 million is being viewed on mobile devices, everyone thinks no one watches video on their phone. No longer true. I see it everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, there's real life survey stats that also match this. Then what did I just tell you? Make some damn video, you dummy. Right? <laughs> it, you know, right. audio kind of also, but. But that begs a question. By the way, um, doesn't matter who, one of the big uh, network kind of monitoring companies, and I can't really remember who said, it's so massive the distance between what bandwidth is used for video versus anything else. Mm-hmm. It's like 90-10 or 95-5 what's, what's video. And it's not just porn, it turns out. It turns <laughs> out some of us are watching TED Talks. <laughs> um, so I think that, you know, in closing, people of uh, accounting – Make some videos. And yes, you run the risk of being boring if you're not like Seth and Erica. You've got to really step it up. You have to be entertainers. It's not enough that you know something. You have to get it across in that David Lee Roth kind of way, just a little bit, even if that's not who you really are. The three of us on this video are introverts, Mm -hmm. but we know what we got to get done. So bear in mind that it is vital that this is what comes next. Shoot and edit and publish video on all the platforms. LinkedIn video is blowing my stats away. I can't even tell you. But this begs a quick question that I'd love to end on, which is Go. if I'm going to uh, participate in all this video consumption, there's so much video out there. How do I compete for attention? Be good. Be good. Um, YouTube has a few things going algorithm-wise. One is that if your video has to be over 10 minutes for YouTube to want to show you it. And then beyond that, the other detail is just that it has to be something someone's going to want to watch. That's what, that's what matters more than anything else. You could do accounting tips and belly dancing at the same time. People will watch the heck out of that. You specifically, Seth. <laughs> I'm going to try that. I'm going to belly dance while I do. I'd watch it. But you I totally would. All right. Cool. Chris. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Uh, really quickly, can you please list all the books you've written so people can go get them and maybe we can get that one retainer paid off? No, um, but go to chrisbrogan.com and there's a bunch of books there. Some okay. of them are good. Um, I, I would say you know, <laughs> my favorite book is The Freak Shall Inherit the Earth. Trust Agents, even published in 2009, is still a super viable book for everybody on the call. Okay, and I'm part of a monthly program you have. Tell us quickly about that so others can participate. It's great. Oh. There's a Slack group. You can learn a ton. Go to owner.media slash insider, owner.media slash insider. hundred bucks a month, you get all our courses, all our webinars, private community group where you can ask any kinds of questions you want to other pros, blah, 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 blah. And video Q&A every single month where you can ask me questions. I charge 500 an hour to answer otherwise. Beautiful. Thank awesome. you so much, Chris. We really appreciate it. Thank you it. so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you for tuning in. New episodes of the Authentic Accountant Podcast are heard every week on the Voice America Business Channel and on your favorite podcast site. Please join Seth David and Erica Ed again soon for another edition and another complete story of success. The Authentic Accountant is sponsored by Intuit. Intuit helps you leverage the latest technologies and works with you to create tomorrow's future innovations for your firm. Visit quickbooks.intuit.com.